and welcome to Myth Matters, a bi-weekly podcast of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important to our lives today. I'm your host and personal mythologist, Catherine Svela. Thank you for joining me. Wherever you may be in this wide, beautiful, crazy world of ours, you are part of this story circle. Of all the mysteries and life questions that we invoke on this program, (laughs) the strange, the sweet, and the troubling, one that engages me on a daily basis is the mystery of the creative process and the arrival of inspiration. What is the source of creative ideas and guiding visions, do you think? And how do they come to us? Through what means do we attract and court them, understand them, realize their potential, or a portion of it anyway. (laughs) I never get more than a portion. And how do we live with them? How do our creative ideas change? And how do we change along with them? Many stories can offer a lens for reflection on questions like these, In my own process, I find that it's Celtic stories that often open the door to such considerations. So today I want to share a Celtic story that came to me recently and offers an opportunity for a meditation on the nature of inspiration and creativity. This story about Agnes and Caer is based on a Celtic myth that also inspired the poet William Butler Yeats. And I'm going to read his poem, Wandering Angus, at the end of this podcast. But I do want to start us off with these words from Yeats about the creative life. He writes, The greater energies of the mind seldom break forth, but when the deeps are loosened. They break forth amid events too private or too sacred for public speech, or seem themselves, I know not why, to belong to hidden things. The greater energies of the mind, the loosened depths, and belonging to hidden things. Let's suspend the busyness of the so-called rational mind then and sink into the receptive and reflective space of the heart-mind, where creative inspiration first stirs, where dreams first meet daylight, and the images and the metaphors offered by this story can be a stimulus for reflection on these mysteries. I encourage you to take note of the detail or moment that catches your attention as this is a portal into the story for you right now. And after the story, I will tell you a bit about what I notice to help you move more deeply into the story. The Celtic story of Angus and Caer Ibormaith. There once was a young man named Angus who was kin to the fairies and the curvy rush of water in the river Boyne, where seekers fished for the salmon of wisdom. His mother, Bowain, was goddess of this river, which carried water from the well of Sagace. 
The well of Sagace was a sacred spring surrounded by nine hazelnut trees. The nuts that fell from these trees contained all the wisdom of the world, and they were eaten by the salmon who lived in the well. One day, Bowain went to the well of Sagas to test the power of this spring, and she lifted up the covering stones and walked counterclockwise around the well. Water rushed up out of it with such great force that it almost swept her away, and the river Boyne was formed in the path that Boan took as she ran away from the flood. Some say that one of the salmon of knowledge took up residence in a deep pool in this new river. But that <laughs> is another story. Bowen was married to a man who didn't care to know her very well, and he tried to control what she did and where she went, despite her great strength of character and heart. But no matter his efforts, Bowen refused to be subdued, and one day she met the fairy hero Dagda and fell in love. They often met on the banks of the River Boyne to walk and talk and make love. When she became pregnant with the son they would name Angus, Dagda stopped time for nine months and a day so his beloved would have a safe sanctuary and their child a gentle birth. Thus, Agnes came into the world lit by the triple fires of love, beauty, and poetry. One night, when he was grown, a powerful dream came to Agnes while he slept in the velvet darkness of the new moon. A beautiful woman, with gray eyes and flowers in her long dark hair, came to him. She smiled and held out her hand. All night long, they walked through the silent trees under glittering stars, and all night long she sang him a sweet song. Her song was wild, beautiful, captivating, a song like no other, an otherworldly sound. When dawn broke, she slipped her hand from his, and before he could say a word to her, she was gone. Angus woke up. Sunlight filtered into the room. All day, he thought about the woman in the dream. All day, he heard her song. When night fell, he hoped and prayed that she would come again, and she did, with a smile on her lips and that same wild, sweet song. She left again at daybreak, and he spent another day sunk in the memory of her. A third night, she came. There was the walk, the smile, the joy, and the song. But on the fourth, she did not. The dream woman didn't come to him again. Days passed, and all Angus could think about was the woman in the dream 
and all that he could hear was her song. All that he could feel was his unrequited love for her, because this mystery woman had also stolen his heart. Angus wandered the hills then, unwashed and unfed, in a torment of delight and dread, dread that he would never see her again. His parents noticed his state and asked him what was wrong. Setting aside his reluctance and embarrassment, he told them that he was heartsick for the woman in the dream. I can think of no one and nothing else, he told them, and my life means little without her. They wanted to help. His mother searched Ireland for a year, but she didn't find the young woman. His father also searched for a year, and he didn't find her either. But Dagda, you recall, had connections in the fairy world, and he gave the description of the young woman to others in that realm. And at last, word did come back about her identity and whereabouts. The young woman's name is Kair Ibermeth, bringer of sleep, dreams, and prophecy, the fairy said. She spends most of her time at the lake called Dragon's Mouth, and if your son Angus travels there, he might find her. Well, Angus went to the lake straight away, and there she was, the woman of the dream, the woman with the beautiful, wild, haunting song. She was on the far side of the lake, bathing in the company of 150 handmaidens, but he knew that it was her, the one called Kair. She was taller than the rest of the women, and he recognized her movements and her long, dark hair, despite the distance that separated them. In those times, and because Kair was a fairy, It was proper for Angus to go to her father to ask for permission to woo her. Well, her father was a fairy with many powers in that world. But when Angus was finished speaking, he shook his head and said, (laughs) Good luck, young man. Kair does what she wants, and I don't have the right to tell her where to go and with whom. She's so self-possessed that she even changes form and lives half of her days as a swan. Every year at Samhain, that is the Celtic Halloween, when the veil between the worlds is very, very thin, Kair affects this transformation for herself and her 150 handmaidens. News of Kair's power didn't really surprised Angus, and he wasn't going to give up so easily. Isn't there anything you can tell me, he asked, or any advice that you can give me? I am deeply in love with your daughter and not afraid of her strength. Her father was impressed by his sincerity. Well, he said, tomorrow is Samhain. And Kair will turn into a swan 
and fly away soon, over the water. Your only chance is to catch her on this day of transformation. Go back down to the shore of the lake. If you know her and call to her, then maybe she'll come. Angus went back to the shore of the lake, called Dragon's Mouth. When he arrived, he saw 151 swans silently gliding in circles on the surface of the lake. How will I recognize her now, he wondered. He studied the sleek white birds. Then his ears caught the faintest sound. Angus cocked his head, and there it was, yes, bits and pieces of the beautiful, sweet, wild song from the dream were drifting over the water. Angus was so moved that he closed his eyes to listen. Time stood still, and without thinking, he longingly called out her name. Kair, Kair, Kair. The song ended, and as the last note faded into the quiet morning, Angus opened his eyes to see a swan gliding toward him. It came alone to the shore, and as the bird emerged from the water, the feathers dropped away. It was Kair. Why did it take you so long to answer my call? She asked. I'm sorry, said Angus. I was plagued by doubts and despair, and I didn't know where to begin. But I have searched all of this time, and now I am here. Will you have me? Kair thought for a moment and said, Yes, we can be together, but on one condition, that you also transform into a swan. Angus accepted these terms, and for three days the lovers flew together, singing a song so wild and sweet that they soothed the hearts and fed the dreams of everyone who heard it. Then resting once again on the shore of the lake called Dragon's Mouth, they both changed back to human form. So Angus and Kair Ibormaith went on, together, as far as we know. And that's the end of the story. Now, the image that calls to me is the swan and this notion of the swan song. Swans are universal symbols of grace and beauty and strength. Strength because they are able to fly despite their weight. In Greek mythology, the swan is associated with Aphrodite, the goddess of love, and also with the god Apollo, the god of music. In Celtic mythology, the swan belongs to Brigid, the goddess of love who also supplies inspiration to writers and poets. Swans signify to us the union of air and water, so they are connected with intuition and the evolution of spirit, and also with inner 
beauty. You may remember the story of the ugly duckling, the odd bird out who grows up with a group of ducks and is laughed at and outcast because he doesn't look right and he doesn't develop the way that they do. And finally, when he gets old enough, he leaves and he lives by himself with despair until he comes across a flock of swans. And at this point, he has grown into his own beauty and they recognize him and lead him to see himself as one of them. There is an evolution in that story of his appreciation for who and what he actually is. The swans in this union of air and water also symbolize the alchemical marriage of opposites and that unique blend of completeness and wholeness that is repeated over and over and over again in every marriage and yet is always original and unique. Swans are also creatures of the other realms. They are otherworldly. A swan is comfortable in the air, on land, and in the water. And because they can inhabit all of these elemental realms, many people have assumed that those who cross over from one realm to another and from other realms to this world assume the form of a swan. In this story, Kair is a fairy, for example. In Norse mythology, the Valkyries appeared as swans. The Valkyries were a group of beautiful warrior goddesses who traveled into battle with Odin, where they chose among the fallen dead, which would go to Valhalla and live in Odin's hall for heroes and thus be remembered as such. Now, there's an important difference between this story and more traditional swan maiden tales. A difference that I believe, based on my experience with the creative process, is very important. (laughs) In the more common swan maiden fairy tales, the woman, the swan, has taken off her robe of feathers for one reason or another and is seen by a man in her human form. He's smitten by her, by her mystery and wildness and beauty and power, and steals her feathers, thereby forcing her to stay with him and become his wife. This is an uneasy union, of course, because she is there against her will, and he has done nothing to earn the love of such a powerful wife. They have a child, and this may ease the pain of the swan maiden somewhat. And yet it is the child in these stories who finds the feather robe that has been hidden away by the man. And intuiting that this robe belongs to the mother, returns it to her. Mom puts on her feathers, and despite her love 
for her child, flies away to live free again as a wild, magical creature. In our story of Angus and Kair, he doesn't try to trick her or compel her with anything other than his love. And he accepts the transformation that she offers. He joins her in her world and thus gets a taste of her reality and her full being. Agnes cannot merely use her or skate by with a superficial knowledge. He can't take 15 minutes and try and figure out what she's about. She demands an intimacy, and he risks all that he knows to enter it. To speak of other worlds often means to speak of death on this plane. Death of the body, of personality, of spirit. And the phrase swan song means last song. It means the final appearance, the last creative act before death. Now, swans don't sing. (laughs) They whistle, they trumpet. Uh, There's a swan called the mute swan, which apparently only hisses or snorts. Whichever swan we're talking about, they are not particularly musical. But according to ancient legends, the swan does sing one beautiful song. It announces and embraces its death by singing. What might a guiding vision, a piercing inspiration, a dream so profound as the one held by Angus, what might a dream like that ask of us? Could the demand be transformation? A death of some aspect of ourselves? Some inspirations and creative possibilities, my friends, require nothing less. To insist that these settle down and behave, that they conform to the current contours of your life or fulfill the agenda that you have for them is to lose them altogether. That inspiration will find another, even if it came to you with conviction, even if it came to you with love. I keep returning to the moment that Angus agrees to assume the form of a swan. He says yes to the transformation, not knowing what was on the other side. Can you imagine that? (laughs) To be a winged creature of such grace and beauty and strength, gliding over the water, flying through the air, soaring over the countryside, in the intimate company of your beloved, a beloved who is also the inspiration and source of the sweet, haunting song that you sing, a song like no other, a song that brought you into life. Angus could not be the same man after such an experience. 
He could not see with the same eyes or think the same thoughts. According to the story, Kair stayed with Agnes then, and they lived on in human forms. The embodiment of this story that I've told you, that's spinning yet, the life informed by the singing of their swan song, a story beyond the confines of this narrative. Inspiration. To receive a guide of the sort that Agnes received in the form of image, sound, dream, feeling, is a profound experience. This feels important even when the vision is quite personal and remains private. Inspiration is the instigator of all making, the catalyst for everything that we shape, fashion, or bring forth in some way. Yes, this notion of inspiration and what I'm talking about here is it's commonly linked to artistic and poetic endeavors, and yet it is an essential ingredient for anyone who makes a life, for anyone who understands that living itself is a type of making and creative expression, an adventure with purpose, form, beauty, and meaning. Not merely a collection of habits that form in response to random events, given structures, and obligations. Loving your life is consciously making your life. And to live in conversation with the mystery. Well, this connects the most mundane circumstance to the poetic. This is the life of the engaged imagination and fully utilized powers of perception, my friends. The life of the soul. Now, I mentioned that Yeats wrote a poem inspired by the Celtic myths of Caer and Angus, and it's called The Song of Wandering Angus. It goes like this. Because a fire was in my head, I cut and peeled a hazel wand and hooked a berry to a thread. And when white moths were on the wing and moth-like stars were flickering out, I dropped the berry in a stream and caught a little silver trout. When I had laid it on the floor, I went to blow the fire aflame, but something rustled on the floor, and someone called me by my name. It had become a glimmering girl with apple blossoms in her hair, who called me by my name and ran and faded through the brightening air. Though I am old, with wandering through hollow lands and hilly lands, I will find out where she has gone and kiss her lips and take her hands and walk among long dappled grass and pluck till time and times are done the silver apples of the moon, the golden apples of the sun. And that's it for me, Catherine Savela and Myth Matters. Feel free to contact me if you have questions or comments about today's program. If you're new to Myth Matters, I invite you to head over to the Mythic Mojo website where you will find information about the podcast, a variety of ways to subscribe and and listen 
on different platforms like iTunes. That's also where I post transcripts of each of these episodes. Feel free to share this podcast with family and friends who might enjoy it. This is how our story circle grows. And on that note, I have a couple of messages from other high desert podcasters to share with you today. Uh, Desert Lady Diaries and Simultaneous Times are both produced by people who live here in the high desert. So stay tuned until the very end of this program to catch their announcements. Myth Matters is listener-supported, and I am very grateful to those of you who join the community on Bandcamp and send some dollars my way. This week, I want to give a shout-out to longtime supporters Mark Brady and Rags Rosenberg. These gentlemen were among the first to join the community on Bandcamp and make a monthly pledge back in the early days when this podcast was still called Myth in the Mojave. <laughs> thank you, Mark, and thank you, Rags. And thank you so much for listening. Please tune in next time. And until then, happy mythmaking and keep the mystery in your life alive. Have you ever wondered why people live in the desert? I'm Dawn Davis, and I host Desert Lady Diaries podcast. It's a weekly conversation with women who found their home in the Mojave Desert. Each week, I talk to women who were either born and raised in the desert or felt called to come here and what the desert means to them. You can learn more about the podcast and listen at DesertLadyDiaries.com. Science fiction stories and interviews blasting straight out of the Mojave Desert and beyond. Space Cowboy Books presents Simultaneous Times Podcast. Free to stream on your favorite podcast player. Find out more at spacecowboybooks.com and be sure to visit our store in Joshua Tree, California.